You're listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. As we've as we've worked out and fleshed out what it means for us to be a church on mission, we've we've said the identity that we have as God's people, not just as individual Christians, but as a church, is to be a family, not like a family, but really a family with God as our Father, on, upon whom we can call as Abba, Father, uh, and one another as brothers and sisters. And we flesh that out. We talked about our commitment to being devoted to one another, our our commitment to pursuing unity together, our commitment to practicing hospitality towards one another and growing in discipleship together. Um, But we not only want to be a family, we want to be a family of servants and missionaries. This is our identity in Christ. We have Christ as our suffering servant, so therefore we, as his people, are servants. We, We have Christ as our Savior who came to seek and save the lost, and so we go as missionaries bearing witness to the name of Christ. This is who we are, um, and this gets fleshed out in us being a church on mission. And so today we continue talking about who we are as a church, not just as family last week, but as servants this week. And as you think about um, servants and, and being served, uh, I was thinking about some of the experiences I've had in restaurants. And uh, you know, I feel like um, and during the kind of as things have opened back up over the past year or so, and we've kind of gotten back in the rhythm of going out to eat and those kind of things, I feel like in every restaurant uh, today, you know, there's there's a sign that's like, you know, be kind, right? Like we're all we're all short staffed. Uh, we don't like I go to Chipotle. I don't know how. Um, I don't know how they still get as much business as they do. Uh, they get my business because uh, I go in and they're like, hey, we're sorry. We're out of lettuce. We're out of chicken. We're out of rice. We're out of guacamole. We're out of chips. We don't have any bowls. Your kids can't have chocolate milk. And I'm like, all right, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. Calm down, everybody. Uh, I'll take, um, I'm going with the tofu today. You know, like I'll take whatever you got. Give it to me in a bowl. I'll mix it up. You know, we'll make it work. Um, but you know, you're kind of, you're reminded as we go, kind of go back out that like, it's hard figuring some of these things out. And I feel like some, uh, establishments have, you know, taken them a little bit longer to figure some of these things out than others. But I was thinking back onto one of my, uh, greatest server fails that I've ever experienced. I, I was a server. I won't tell you any of the server fails that I did, but, um, one time I was out to eat at O'Charlie's, uh, if you've ever uh, if you've ever eaten at one of those, I, I don't think they're, I haven't seen one up here and the ones that were in town where I used to live went out of business. And so, um, <clears throat> my story here might make sense after I tell it, but, uh, so we, we were out to eat at O'Charlie's. It was actually a really good place that had really good rolls that you got beforehand. I mean, any restaurant that brings you rolls out with butter, I'm like, sign me up, you know? Um, and they had really warm, uh, rolls that they brought out with butter that you could, you know, eat as you were waiting on your food. And, it was kind of like, you know, chicken and steak and soup, all kind of Americana diner type experience. And, um, and so we're, we're eating and we're like in a, in a corner booth, uh, like corner in the sense of there's a walkway behind us and like you go to the beside us to go like back to the kitchen. So it's pretty, pretty busy thoroughfare. And I think we're, I think it's before our food got there to our table while we're eating. Uh, one of the waiters uh, was walking around the corner after having bust a table uh, and comes around 
the corner and I don't know if he like tripped. I don't know if he checked his hip on the side of the booth or what, but all of the drinks that were on his tray from bussing the table uh, ended up coming off his tray and down the back of my booth and, and ultimately down my back. Um, and, and I'm like, you know, it's kind of one of those moments that you're like, your senses are shocked as you're sitting there talking, you know, waiting for your food. And then you're drenched on your back with who knows what, right? Like, I don't know if it was a mixture of tea, Coke, water, what, but, um, but I'll get drenched. And, you know, now I'm thinking like, you know, the positive side is my meal's going to be free, you know? Um, uh, but instead they're like, you know, we can give you an appetizer, you know, like we can, you know, maybe give you like your drinks for free or something. And I'm like inside, I'm like, really? Like an appetizer? Like... You just dumped four cups of drink on me, you know, and and so um, so I think we got an appetizer or something free. And uh, having uh, having been a waiter, you know, some battles are worth fighting and not worth fighting. So I took what they gave me and uh, had a story uh, to tell. But there are other experiences, you know, that you've had uh, in a restaurant, perhaps, or in other places where you've just been served. You've been surprised, perhaps, by how you've been served by someone. That's happened in some restaurant experiences for me. You know, sometimes um, you go into a place, and especially if it's a nice place, and you're just like blown away by the service that you get. But, but here I want you to think about perhaps a friend or a family member, somebody close to you, that you've been surprised by the way that they've served you. There's something, there's something about being served that on one hand it's hard because it takes a certain measure of humility to receive service, right? Because somebody looked at you and thought you need help, right? Uh, That's why it's hard sometimes to be served. It's one thing when you want to be served, you're like, come on, you know, here I am. Um, But it's another thing when somebody sees a need in your life and they surprise you by serving you, it's, 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 it's both humbling and yet there's also this just deep sense of gratitude when someone served you. I've, I've had uh, people in our lives after difficult experiences who didn't, ask me how I needed to be served. They just showed up and served. Uh, they didn't wait for me to reach out. They reached out and, and served me. There have been things that I didn't know to ask that other people thought about doing for me uh, in, in moments of need, uh, in moments of grief. There have been people who have served me not by the physical actions that they've taken to, to do something for me, but by their presence. Uh, there's, there's something about being surprised by how someone serves you. Uh, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45. Um, there's a few different passages that, uh, that contain this teaching of Jesus. Another one of them is Luke 22, uh, 24 through 27. <clears throat> but today I, I decided uh, that we're going to camp out here in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, because... It's one of those passages that, <clears throat> that strikes at the, at the core of who Jesus was as a servant and his call to us to be servants. Um, <clears throat> and so Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45, as Mason has uh, read for us today, <clears throat> I want us to see two, uh, two kind of uh, contrasts uh, between what the disciples were seeking and what Jesus called them to. And then from those contrasts, I want us to, uh, to kind of take away some lessons and then apply that to our life together 
uh, as a family of servants. The first thing I, I want us to see in verses 35 through 40 is that the disciples wanted glory, but Jesus called them to suffer. The disciples wanted glory, but Jesus called them to suffer. Now, to understand the significance of James and John asking Jesus this question to sit at his right and his left, as they do in 35 and uh, down in uh, particularly um, 37 when they they ask this question, it's important to kind of understand the timing of what's taking place here, uh, here in, in Mark chapter 10. Jesus has just predicted, if you just kind of allow your eyes to fall on the chunk of text right above it, has just predicted his death for the, the third time. Uh, it, it's, it's apparent in the Gospel of Mark that uh, at a certain point, as Jesus approached the, what he knew to be the end of his life, he began to instruct his disciples on what was to come. You know, when, when we look at the Bible, some people today uh, look at Jesus and they think he was a, a good teacher. They think he was an inspirational figure, but they think that his disciples took him from being a great teacher and made him a savior. Um, but when you look at Jesus's teaching uh, in the Gospels, what's abundantly clear uh, is that Jesus knew why he came. Um, and, and we saw it even in his uh, in his birth, that he came to be the Savior, uh, to forgive us of our sins. And here, as he goes through the gospel, uh, throughout his teaching, it becomes clear that he's going to save us from our sins by laying down his life for us. He came for this purpose, and it gets continually reiterated, uh, not as his disciples um, making him into something, but in his own uh, revealing to us his very identity and purpose. Um, and before, before you get to this prediction, the first one goes back to Mark chapter 8, 31 through 38. It's kind of a, a pivot text, if you will, in the Gospel of Mark. And the first half, when you read through the Gospel of Mark, all the, the, the questions that get asked after Jesus does a miracle or teaches with authority is the, the crowds ask, who is this? And, and, and the funny thing is, throughout the Gospel of Mark, is the, the people or the, the, the beings who know who Jesus is, it's the demons uh, after Jesus cast them out, when, when Jesus approaches, they're like, we know who you are. You're the son of God. You're the son of the most high God. Don't, don't have anything to do with us. And, and so the demons know who Jesus is, but everybody else is like, who is this guy who, who calms the storms? Who is this guy who says to the, to the man who's laying, get up and walk, but not only get up and walk, but your sins are forgiven? Who is this one who does these miracles, who heals the sick uh, and the lame? And this question of who is Jesus comes to a climax when Peter proclaims and confesses that you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the promised one, the, the promised Savior that God is going to send. And upon the heels of understanding who Jesus is, then Jesus gives us the mission in Mark eight thirty four. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is Jesus's, one of Jesus' most repeated teachings. It's at the core of what it means to be a disciple, to know him and follow him, is to die to ourselves and to follow after him. That's the, that's the message that Jesus gives. Who I am, know me as Savior, as the promised Savior, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And then flowing from that in Mark 9 and 10, he continues to kind of give this crash course on discipleship to his disciples and what it means to follow him. And, and, and it's abundantly clear that that. 
for Jesus to, to be our Savior and for us to follow him, first he must lay down his life. He must be betrayed. He must be arrested. He must be mocked. He must be beaten. He must be crucified. And then he will rise. And this he says repeatedly and plainly to his disciples. And on the heels of that lesson, James and John are like, hey, Jesus, stellar lesson. Really appreciated it. Like, we hear what you're saying. Um, we've been talking and we have a question. This may seem a little forward, but we're going to throw it out there anyway. We want to know the kingdom that you're bringing. Can we like be on your right and your left? Can we be like your guys, right? Like James and John, their nickname, awesome nickname, the sons of thunder, right? Like guns out, sons out. Like these guys, these guys were pretty serious when, when, when Jesus uh, when there's this moment where people are um, kind of resisting Jesus, they're like, let's call lightning down from heaven and kill these people. And, and like they're intense and, and they are not shy and asking Jesus for what they want. Um, they say, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you, right? Like who does that? Like, that's almost like what sometimes your kids try to do with you. You're, they're like, they try to sneak one past you, you know? Um, it's like, wait a second. What? That, that's a blank check, you know? Like, Jesus is like, um, well, what do you want me to do for you? You know, he doesn't say, sure, I'll do whatever you want. But what do you want me to do for you? And, and they ask for the, the position of glory, the position of authority, the position of power. And I make somewhat light of it because Jesus uh, responds to them by, by showing them that they don't know what they're talking about. He says, you guys don't understand. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be drink, uh, that I'm about to be baptized with? It's this language of, of experience, of what he's about to experience, of the immersion and the suffering that he's about to experience. He says, do you understand what you ask? <clears throat> and sometimes the Bible's humor comes out in its brevity because their response is like, yeah, we're able. We're good. We're ready, Jesus. And, and, and you, we, the disciples, obviously, on one hand, we so identify with them because they're knuckleheads a lot of the times, and we're like that. Um, and we sometimes put our mouth, our foot in our mouth and our mouth on our foot, however you look at that. Um, and, and, and it's just this like want to follow Jesus, but somehow sometimes just not tracking on the same wavelength as him. Like, like the heart's in the right place, but you know, like you're not really thinking on the same wavelength as Jesus right now. Like that's, that's us and that's them right now is they don't fully understand what they're asking. And, and particularly not only what they're asking, but they're not yet fully grasping what Jesus has come to do. They're not fully grasping why he came. And in some ways, what James and John want is the blessings of Jesus without following the way of Jesus. They want, they want Jesus to give them the blessing of the kingdom, but they don't want to walk the way Jesus is about to walk. He says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And on my way to Jerusalem means I'm on my way to the cross. And those who follow me, follow me to the cross. They sought glory, but Jesus called them to suffering because he goes on to say, you indeed will experience this suffering. It's the father's 
to give who sits on the right and the left. And in Luke chapter 22, it tells us that the disciples, uh, that they will take a position in the kingdom, a, a place of prominence in the kingdom that he will give uh, to them. But, but here he says, it's the father who will give to the, who sits on the right and the left, but you will suffer. You will drink the cup that I'm about to be drinked with and will be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with. You sought glory, but Jesus calls them to suffering. And in fact, the paradox of the Christian life is it's suffering, then glory. And the lesson that we take away from this is that the way of the Christian is the way of the cross. The way of the Christian is the way of the cross. Or to say it another way, honestly, the way of the Christian is the way of Christ, right? Like if we follow Christ, we should not expect our life and our lot to be different from the one whom we follow. Now, our suffering is not his suffering. He suffered uniquely. We'll return to that in a minute. He suffered in a way that we cannot suffer. He suffered in our place as our Savior. But he calls us and gives us a pattern of what it means to suffer, and, and I can't give you all of these, these references, but you can just write some of these down. Go, go back to Mark 8.34 and look at what Jesus calls us to. Go to Romans 8.17, uh, where, where Paul talks about uh, what, it, what it means to suffer for Christ. In Philippians 1.29, it says it this way. It says, it's not only been granted to us on Christ's behalf to believe in him. Like, I'm game for that. Let me believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for him since we're engaged in the same struggle that Paul says to the Philippians, you know that you have heard that I have. What is that struggle? That struggle is living for Christ, seeking to make Christ known. He says that we not only get, we're not only called to believe on him, but called to suffer for him. 2 Timothy 2.3, suffer as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3.12, the very last letter of Paul's life. When he lays out a pattern of discipleship for Timothy to leave behind in Ephesus, he says, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And all of the words of God are given to us, are faithful and true, and and it says all, all who want to live a godly life. Like it's, you know, you can look in the Sermon on the Mount, go to Matthew Five and, and particularly down in 11 and 12, Jesus lays out the good life, the Beatitudes, what it means to be blessed. And, and the, the blessed life is found in knowing our need for him and, and trusting him. But I think sometimes as Christians, we can fall into the trap of believing if we follow Christ, like life's going to fall into place and it's going to be pretty good and things are going to look up and, you know, we're going to be blessed. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus surprises us because he says, if you live a blessed life, if you know your need for me and if you follow me, what you can expect is that there is a great blessing to be found in suffering for my name's sake. Blessed are you when you're reviled and cursed for my name's sake. Like that if we live a good Christian life, it's not that we escape suffering, but it's that we can expect suffering. And it's not only suffering for the sake of knowing Christ. That's the, the primary calling as a Christian is not to seek out suffering. The primary calling as a Christian is to faithfully follow Christ. And if you follow Christ in a world that opposes him, if you follow Christ in a world that doesn't believe in him, which our world is the same as it was in Jesus's day, it looks different. Some of the arguments are different, but many of them are the same. Jesus said, if they oppose me, don't be surprised that they oppose you. If we follow Christ, we're going to rub up against some opposition. 
Peter basically says it this way. He says, as Christians, don't suffer for being jerks in the world. Suffer for Christ's sake. Like Faithfully follow Christ, and if people oppose you, you're blessed as you follow him. Know and expect that. Don't go around and, uh, and suffer because you treat people in a way that's opposite of Christ. Suffer because you are faithfully following Christ and you're extending the hope that's found in Christ and that to some people that will be an aroma of life and to some that will be an aroma of death. But it also shows us that we, we go through this life and we experience the suffering and the sorrow of living in a sin-stained world. We, we have this suffering for the sake of Christ, but we also have suffering and sorrow that comes through, through the disappointments of this fallen world, through the, the pain and the sorrow, through, the, uh, through the, the suffering, through the trials of life, the sorrow that comes from death and sickness. We've perhaps tasted that in different ways over these past two years in a pronounced way. The, the unmet expectations and disappointments in, in school and in work and in relationships and, and all of these things, uh, we continually see that God says, don't be surprised by suffering. First Peter 4.12, dear friends, dear brothers, sisters, Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual was happening. But instead rejoice. Because as you share in the sufferings of Christ, you'll also be able to rejoice with great joy in his glory to be revealed. Romans 8.18, Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time, which not only encompass suffering for Christ, but all of the sufferings through living in a, uh, in a sin-stained world. He says they're not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. In the world, we want glory and not suffering. But the way of Christ is the way of the cross, and that means that we're called to suffer. And the one who suffered for us is the one who calls us to suffer. And that's important, and that's good news, because we see that if, if we're going to suffer, if we're, if we're going to follow Christ, and we have this call to suffering, it's, and sometimes it seems like a raw deal. Like, I want to follow Jesus, and I want some things to just be easier than what they are. Like, I don't want everything to be hard. Why would I sign up for everything to be hard? And that's when we step back and we begin to realize when we, we can't make sense of our suffering, when we don't know why it's happening, when we don't understand what God's doing in it all. Like, there doesn't have to be a, you know, a, a cheesy Christian cliche to make it all feel right and to, to just help us to trust that something's better on the other side. No, there's something much deeper than that. When we don't understand our suffering, we don't, we don't quite understand why we're being rejected for pursuing someone and loving them and sharing the gospel, or we don't understand why life is as difficult as it is. That's when we realize the reason for our suffering is found that the one who calls us to suffer is also the one who suffered on our behalf. And when it comes to serving, we, we see these things come together, and Jesus is about to make this clear, but suffering and serving are connected because if you're going to serve Christ, Jesus' teaching was clear, expect suffering. If you're, going to, if you're going to serve others for the sake of Christ in a fallen world, you can expect suffering. And if you want to draw near to other people who are broken sinners and live in a broken and sinful world, you can expect to have to draw near to them in their suffering. So as we serve, our serving and our suffering are commingled so often, and it shouldn't surprise us because what Mark 10, 41 through 45 is about to show us, just as it says in echoing the words of Isaiah 53, we're called to serve because we 
have a suffering servant as our Savior who came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. So we see the disciples wanted glory, but Jesus called them to suffering. But the second contrast we see is the disciples wanted greatness, but Jesus called them to serve. The disciples wanted greatness, but Jesus calls them to serve. That's what verses 41 through 45 unpack. It says, after uh, James and John asked this question, apparently the other disciples either heard it going down or uh, James and John had the audacity to share with them. I don't know one of the two which happened, but uh, they aren't very happy about the question that James and John asked Jesus. And my presumption is that they either aren't happy because they got beat to the punch uh, and didn't get to ask for themselves, uh, or, uh, or, or perhaps um, uh, frustrated that James and John would be so presumptuous to, to ask the question. But either way, they're upset. And Jesus takes the opportunity to press home a simple and yet profound principle. He says, in the world, the Gentiles seek to, uh, the rulers of the Gentiles seek to lord it over others. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. In the, in the world, greatness is found by seizing and exercising authority and power over other people. If you want to be great, you got to seize the day and you got to seize the power and the authority and, and, and take that from others. And, and it says in this world, people lord power and authority over others. But the, the contrast, the principle that Jesus says is greatness isn't found by having power and authority over others. It's actually found by serving others. That true greatness in the eyes of Jesus is found in serving others. And he, he goes on to say that that's what we're called to. If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be first, be a slave to all. And then here's the grounding, the reason for it. Why is greatness found in serving because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's, it's because of the cross that this principle is true, that, <clears throat> that nothing is more like Jesus than laying down our life for other people. That was the, the mission for why he came, to lay down his life, to give his life as a ransom. The word ransom is, is the idea of purchasing someone out of bondage. Jesus came to free us from our sin and to forgive us of our sin through his death on the cross and through his resurrection on the cross. This is why he came and it's in serving others that we best image and we best display why Jesus came. He came to lay down his life for us. There's a pastor and commentator, Sinclair Ferguson, and he said it this principle, he articulated it this way and I couldn't say it better than him. He said that the way of the disciple is different from the way of the world. Because in the kingdom of God, true greatness is measured by our service, not by the number of our servants. In the kingdom of God, true greatness is seen not in how high up the ladder we've climbed, but on how willing we are to go low on the ladder to serve others. He says, true discipleship has as its, at its heart letting go of our desire for honor in this world in order to bestow honor on others. Jesus says in a paradoxical way, if you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be first, be last. To be a servant, not just to those that you want to, but be a servant to all. 
The disciples wanted greatness, but Jesus called them to serve. And the paradox is just like suffering precedes glory, serving precedes greatness in the eyes of God. And what that means for us is that the way of the Christian is not only the way of the cross, but another way to say it is the way of the Christian is the way of humble service. That's who Jesus has called us to be. Jesus, as our suffering servant, has called us to humble service in his footsteps. It's an upside down kingdom in the eyes of the world. Why go low in serving others in order to to be great? It's because that's what Jesus did. He did that on our behalf, and he established the pattern for us. And I think when we think about this, this idea of being called to humble service, what, what, I, what I want to press home is that this isn't like a, a one-time thing, right? Like the idea of being called to, to humble service is, is a life made up of a thousand decisions daily and weekly and monthly and yearly in which we choose to seek to serve others. It happens at home. It happens at work. It happens at school and our friendship and with our neighbors. It's the decision to, to serve others and to think about what others need uh, before we think about ourselves. It's a belief that God's not called us to be a reservoir of his blessing, but to be a conduit of it to other people. It's a call that the work that God's doing is it God's doing in us doesn't stop with us, but that it extends to others. It's this belief that God's put us somewhere for a reason and that he's calling us to give ourselves to others. We didn't deserve to be served by him, and therefore we look at others with glad hearts seeking to serve them even if we don't think they deserve it. And that's the that's the paradox of the Christian life just as Jesus said you're to to love your enemies, you're to, you're to serve even those that you don't think deserve it. You're to be a servant not to, to those that you think deserve it or to those that you prefer, but to all. And, and we'll see that there's a special calling towards believers serving one another, but in many ways that's just, uh, that's just preparing us and putting on display not only how we serve one another, but that's preparing us to serve all uh, in a broader way. And so as we think about Uh, This teaching that Jesus unpacks here, that that suffering precedes glory, that serving precedes greatness, that this is the way of Christ. Here's here's how I want us to grow as a church of servants. I think three things that we have to do to grow in this year. And and to put it in the context, I've said that this helps us unpack our mission. At TCC, we say we want to multiply disciples who delight in, declare, and display the gospel Not just sometimes, but in all of life and for the good of our community. And that's all intentional because a disciple is someone who knows and follows Jesus. And part of what that means is that before we do stuff for God, we we find our greatest delight in him. He's our treasure. He's our joy. We delight in him and from delighting in him flows a life of word and deed, seeking to make him know, declaring and displaying the gospel in all of life and for the good of our community. So our idea of how we connect our mission to serving is, well, how are we going to display the gospel through serving? How are we going to work out the gospel in all of life, at least in part through being servants in our homes, in, in our small group, in our church family, in our community, in our workplaces, in our relationships? How are we going to, uh, to seek the good of our community? By serving them without strings attached. There may be more that we can do, but we can't do less than being servants of Christ. 
And so uh, here's, here's three things that I, I want us to, to think about uh, this year as we grow as servants. To be a church that serves, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Th- this is foundational. As I said earlier, that the, the grounds of our call to serve is that Christ served us. Verse 45, grounds are serving in the serving of Christ. That he first served us. We, we don't have time to go to John 13, but there Jesus surprises his disciples at the, the Last Supper, as he, uh, as, he, as he stands up from the table and takes the bowl and he kneels down and he serves them by washing their feet. The master serves his disciples. And, and he gives them this picture because it's to, to be the way in which they're to serve one another and to love one another. And we have to continually keep our eyes on Jesus. But first and foremost, it's easy for us to look at Jesus as the example of our service. And we're going to get to that. But he's, he's foundationally, he's the, he's the foundation of our service because he frees us from our sin so that we might serve others. And I think this is important. <clears throat> I said earlier that Jesus' suffering is unique. He suffered in a way that, that we can't suffer because he suffered in our place and for our sin. He suffered as the sinless son of God. We suffer as imperfect sinners seeking to follow Christ, but he suffered as the sinless son of God on our behalf, laying down his life that we might be saved and have the forgiveness of sin. So his suffering is unique. It's a a ransom. It purchases us out of our sin. All who would believe on him, all whom he's called to himself, he, he has served them by laying down his life on their behalf. And it's interesting that this connection, I think, sometimes is often overlooked. Because what do we most need in order to be freed up to be servants to others? We most need to be able to get over our own selfishness, to get over our own jealousy, to get over our own resentment, to get over our own pride, to get over our own bitterness, the the very things that turn us inward to focus on ourselves, our sin, we need to be freed from our sin to be turned outward. You think we think we've got it harder than others, so why should we give ourselves to them? Sometimes it's not that we don't we we, we don't think about others. It's it's not that we we think little of others, but it's that we don't think of others. We're we're focused on kind of myopically what's right in front of us, and we don't take time to consider others. We need to, uh, to, to be able to deal with the sin in our own hearts to be freed to love others. That's often what hangs us up. If you look at what Paul taught the churches when he's calling them to all these one another's, time and time again, he's reminding them, you need to take off unrighteousness. You need to take off the work of the flesh and you need to put on the fruit of the spirit. You need to, to be able to walk in these things. We need our hearts freed from sin so that we can be then freed to love God and love others as an extension of that. We need the gospel, Jesus in our place for our sins, if we're going to get over ourselves and give ourselves to others. And that's good news, right? Like you don't have to pretend to be an awesome servant. We can all admit that we're terrible servants if it weren't for our, our servant savior right? Like that we're all on equal ground, looking to ourselves more than we look to others until Jesus grabs our heart and until we continually remind ourselves of the gospel to be freed to serve others. Such good news. And and I often, I'm often surprised of, uh, we live in a world where 
I think broadly here in our own community, but also um, uh, beyond this community, we live in a world where people want to serve. Like Christians aren't unique in their desire to serve. That's one of the things I I remember um, being most shocked when I moved to our community here. Um, There's a lot of people who want to serve and do good to others. Uh, Christians aren't unique in their desire to serve. There's a lot of people who look to serve. I mean, community service looks good on your college applications. It, it, businesses want to be known for how they serve. Like, think about some of these businesses, Bombas, Tom's, Figs, Warby Parker. All of them have a buy one, give one model because they want to do good to others. They want to serve others. It really, that's a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm not knocking that in any way. Uh, but, but often as you press into to why and what's behind the service... I think apart from Christ, we seek to serve others because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we're a part of something bigger. Sometimes maybe not in a Christian sense, but it helps people connect to the divine or or participate broadly in their community. It gives them a sense of fulfillment. All these things can be true in different ways and a mixture of ways. But, you know, as, as you think about it, apart from Christ, all of our desires to serve often end up coming back to being about us, our fulfillment, our connection, our sense of belonging and, and being a part and helping others. It's only in Jesus that we're freed from ourselves to then give ourselves to others, not because of something we get, but of an overflow of what we've already received. That's the, that's the unique calling of the Christian to serve that Christ particularly gives us. So we see that Jesus frees us from our sin that we might serve others, but then that he's our pattern for serving others. We have a model in him of what it means to suffer and serve for God's glory and the good of others. That we continually look to him as the one who frees us from our sin and who models for us what it means to serve. It was scandalous, the people that Jesus was willing to spend time with. It surprised even his disciples, the people he would talk to. It shocked the the people around him who he was willing to touch and who he was willing to serve. Jesus often surprises us and shocks us and who he talked to and who he served because it rubs up against our own sensibilities. We, We have our own boundaries and parameters of what we're willing to do. And Jesus continually reminds us that the the threshold of our serving should not be our comfort. The threshold of our serving should be Christ's example. The the threshold of what we do should be modeled not after what we feel comfortable doing, but after what Christ was willing to do. In Luke 22, 27, Jesus says, I am among you as a servant. I love that statement. He said, I showed up and I showed up among you and have existed among you and have lived among you for these three years as you followed me as a servant. And his calling to them there, just as it was here, is for us to go and serve others. We display Jesus best when we serve one another and we serve one another in the church and those outside the church. So to be a church that serves, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. That's foundational. And then the next two things I want us to see are that to be a church that serves, we must look out for one another. Philippians 2, 1 through 11 unpacks this particularly in a, uh, in a profound way, I think, as it, it tells us what it looks like to have the mind of Christ, um, to, to live in such a way that we look out not only for our interest, but for the interest of others, to, to be willing to, uh, to care for and to consider others uh, in, the way that we, in the way that we live and, and the way that we 
uh, we give of ourselves. <clears throat> he says to, um, to jump down to verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. There's the things that get in the way of us serving. But instead, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude of that in Christ Jesus. And then verses 6 through 11 tells us that Jesus, who is in the form of God, he did not lay aside his deity when he came to this earth, but he took upon himself the form of a servant. He was fully God and he was fully man. He, he emptied himself of his divine privilege by coming to serve us. And it says that instead of assuming, he assumed the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humility. And when he became a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And as he humbled himself as a servant and would go to suffer on the cross, God, it says, has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, so that every knee would bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To have the mind of Christ is to have the mind of a humble servant. We, we talk a lot as a church that our rhythm is to gather and to scatter. So I think, how, how should we look out for one another? Well, let's do it as we gather. As, a, as our church grows, our needs for serving increase, both in formal ways and informal ways. So there's serve teams here at TCC in which this gets fleshed out. This, this is a, an extension of, of how we serve in a tangible, practical way. We, we, we serve on a serve team, whether it be in uh, connections or our kids' classes or setting up or tearing down or with worship or production um, or with uh, uh, aspects of our outreach and planning that we do. There's all of these formal ways that we're not looking to uh, keep this to a few, but we're looking to equip the saints to do the work of ministry um, at TCC. And if you have an interest or a desire or a skill or a, even an openness to learn how to do something, I was setting up today with uh, sound and uh, somebody asked me, so do you have a background doing this? I said, I had no clue what I'm doing right now. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know if this is going to work. <laughs> you know, I just learned along the way, right? Like, I'm convinced you can learn anything by watching YouTube, right? Um, <clears throat> we can learn anything by talking to one another and, and figuring it out together. That's, uh, that's the beauty uh, of what God's doing uh, here at TCC. But I, I do want to make this point. Serving isn't volunteerism in the church. Serving is about building the church and advancing the gospel. When we talk about these serve teams, these serve teams aren't just merely about volunteering roles. They're, they're about building the church in the way that we give ourselves to share the gospel and communicate God's word to kids, to set up an environment and atmosphere where people can hear the word of God and worship, uh, to, to be able to put something up on a screen that helps people grow in their understanding of God's word, to, to, to set up and tear down, to, to do the stuff that sometimes is overlooked that enables uh, church to happen. It's, it's not just volunteerism as well as serving isn't just about these formal things. Here's, here's the other piece. As we gather, I want you to think beyond serve team and ask ourselves this question. If Philippians 2, 3, and 4 particularly flesh out the mind of Christ... How can we tangibly display Christ as we interact with one another when we gather? When, when we gather, when you walk into a room, I've heard this said by uh, Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry in a podcast <clears throat> uh, that I was listening to a while back, and uh, they said, "When you walk into a room, do you walk into a room and think here I am, or do you think there you are?" There's a big difference when you walk into a room and you think here I am, 
as opposed to when you walk into a room and you think, there you are. It's not about me. I'm here for you. I'm so glad that you're here. When you show up and you look out for the interest of others, you ask things like, how are you doing? You recall something that maybe is going on in their lives from the last conversation. I remember you said you had an exam. I remember you said you were stressed about this. How's that going? It means that uh, as, you, uh, as you talk, you, you, you care about asking important questions. After you listen to someone, you, you, you really not only say it, but commit to pray for them. You, you see someone perhaps that's new and you go welcome them. You see someone perhaps who's discouraged and you seek to encourage them. When, when someone serves you, you actually share, hey, thanks for, thanks for serving me. Encourage them in the way that you see Christ in them. Look for ways to help someone who's struggling. Think about taking service beyond just when we gather and, and looking for a way to follow up with someone. These are the ways that we flesh out Philippians 2, 3 through 4. We think, there you are, not here I am. And we ask ourselves, how can I tangibly display, display Christ to others? And then we also serve as we scatter. <clears throat> As we leave this place, we, we look for ways to serve beyond Sunday. And so uh, beyond our gathering as a church, here's three things that we can easily do. Consider others beyond Sunday. So when we leave here, I know, you know you're thinking about lunch, you're thinking about a nap, whatever it might be. Do that, right? Praise the Lord. And then think about other folks beyond Sunday. And as you think about them, stay connected to them. Maybe that means you ask for their number or uh, you, you follow up with them at a small group and you connect during the week. And then don't wait to be asked to serve, but look for a way to serve. And in, in these simple ways, we can serve even as we scatter. Because as a church, to be a church that serves, we have to look out for one another. That is the mind of Christ, according to Philippians 2, 3 through 4. And then not only that, but finally, to be a church that serves, we must do good to all. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 uh, unpacks this for us when we see this principle of, of sowing. And, and as we sow, we reap. And, and, and there in Galatians 6, it says that not only do we, do we sow faithfully by doing good, not growing weary in doing good, but it says, as we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all. And then we have this good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. There's this commitment to serve one another, but it's couched in this commitment to serve everyone. We want to be a church that looks to do good to all. Our service, service to others isn't just about building one another up. We talked about this last week with the one another's, but our service always has a twofold, uh, a twofold uh, Result that it builds up the church, but it also bears witness to the gospel. Our serving one another primes the pump, if you will, for us not only to display the gospel to one another in ways that help us remind ourselves of the gospel, but it also helps us display the gospel to those in other areas of our life and in our community by the way that we serve them. We we've said <clears throat> as a church, I, I remember in praying through being a church planter. Uh, serving uh, as a student minister, taking some students to serve with a church that uh, is in Boston. And they uh, now just celebrated about 10 years as a church. And as I was serving there, that it was really the first in, in Medford, uh, outside of Boston, that kind of the desire for church planting kind of was really uh, solidified in my heart. And one of the most striking lessons I learned from watching uh, my friends, as they planted uh, their church there in Medford, outside of Boston, was their commitment to, to this. They said, we want to be a church 
that loves our community longer than they can mistrust us. We want to be a church that loves our community longer than they can mistrust us. See, often as Christians, as, as we find ourselves in our community, we seek to serve. Sometimes that serving is met with skepticism. Why do you want to do this? What are you trying to accomplish? <clears throat> and there could be mistrust and misunderstanding as to what's behind that. We found that as, our, as a church in this community, often as we've sought to serve, there's been skepticism about our serving. But we're committed to being here longer and loving longer and more faithfully than our community can mistrust us. We've, we've unpacked this in, in kind of a commitment that's both a lifestyle of service as well as a week of service that we call Serve A2Y. Serve A2Y, as I said, it's, it's, a, it's a commitment not just to, to doing a week of service, but it's a commitment to serving our community throughout our life. It's a commitment to, to being in our community in such a way that people might say, you know what, I don't believe like you, but I'm really glad that you're my neighbor. I don't, I don't believe the same thing you do, but I'm glad you're my friend. I'm glad we're a part of this community together. And then our prayer is that sentiment that they offer there would turn into this question. Why do you serve the way that you do? And when we get asked, why do we serve the way that we do? The one thing I want to ask you to do is you, if you serve someone like that and they say, why do you do this? Don't say, I'm just being nice. Say, because I've been served better than I deserve by Jesus. Doesn't have to be pretentious. You're not Jesus juking. You're giving testimony to who Jesus is. He was among us as a servant. We want to be among our community as a servant. We grow in a lifestyle of serving by being intentional, by being generous with what we have of our time, of our conversation. We stay outside and talk to people. We ask people how they're doing. We're not trying to be impressive. We're just trying to be faithful. Like if we do this, we will serve our community. We will find ways to seek the good of our neighbors and our coworkers and our classmates and our friends and our family and, and our broader community. As a church, we do this by not trying to reinvent the wheel on everything, but looking for ways that we can join in the things that our community is already doing and saying, how can we make it better? We, we went to Pittsfield Township and we said, we saw you're doing something for Halloween. How could we make it better? Could we paint pumpkins for you? Could we, could, we come to, uh, summer, uh, could we come to Summerfest and, and help with the kids' zone tent and be a blessing to kids? Could, could we come and join in the things that our community is doing and make it better? We look for those who are already serving our community, like Hope Clinic, like Peace Neighborhood Center, and other places that we can go to and say, hey, how can we come alongside you and serve with you? And so practically, that's what we're doing as a church, but then practically, personally for you, my encouragement to us is start where you're at. God's put you there for a reason. And then know that nothing's too small. God can take the little bit that we give him and do great with it. That's the time and time the principle that we see. As we give God what we've got, no matter how small it is, God can take it and multiply it for his purposes. So start where you're at and nothing is too small. And then the, the last thing that I just want to point to is our week of service that we call Serve A2Y Week. This past year, in 2021, we weren't able to do it in 2020 because of dynamics with COVID, but in 2021, with our Summer Link and Jensen team and with folks from here at TCC, we, we served the city of Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti uh, through the police and fire department as well as the parks and rec. We've, we've, we've laid mulch at three of the 143 parks um, 
in our community. So we've got a little bit more ways to go, but uh, we're getting there slowly. We serve nine small businesses through, uh, through business blessings. We serve three nonprofits by helping them in various ways that they needed. Our goal of Survey 2Y is to go to, to our community, to small businesses, to nonprofits, and say, how can we serve you? No strings attached. There's, there's no invitation. There's, there's no thing that we want you to advertise for us. We just want to serve you. And this year, that date for Survey 2Y is July 20th through the 25th. And my challenge for us this year as a church is as a church family, let's really own Survey 2Y. We have some of our partner churches that come in and help serve with us, and that's a huge blessing. They multiply our efforts. This year, we hope that we'll have 30 to 40 people from other partnering churches that will help come and serve, and we'll split up into various groups and serve some in the morning, some in the afternoon, do some evening projects, some that are family-oriented in various ways, some that are uh, maybe it's pulling weeds, maybe it's painting, maybe it's organizing, maybe it's it's just doing some cleaning, maybe it's helping do um, something for a small business, maybe it's taking a blessing basket to a business. A lot of different ways that we serve, but my challenge to us is not only to receive the help of others to serve our community, but to lead the others that come to serve with us. Let's lead them in serving our community. That's a, uh, people will come in on Wednesday and really Thursday and Friday and Saturday are the heavy lifting days. And then Sunday uh, we'll gather as a church. Maybe it's taking off work to do it. Maybe it's intentionally carving out time to, to be available to help in these days. But let's own this as a church family, as we serve our community. We want to be a church <clears throat> that's known for serving because our Savior is a suffering servant. And my prayer is that we lean into that this year, that we be a family of servants just like our Savior. Let's pray.